Hello everyone and welcome to Mike Springston FFC Podcast where we coach you in the word. We want to welcome you from around the United States of America and those of you that are downloading internationally onto our podcast site. We hope that the teaching of God's word and the preaching of God's word has ministered to you and been a blessing to you. We want to welcome your comments or questions uh, at springston56 at gmail.com, mikespringstonministry.com, ffcma.org, or through Family Fellowship Chapel's direct messaging. Also want to remind you of our book, I Surrender. Uh, it's available through Amazon or in your local bookstores. Today we're going to look at when does one receive the works and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we're beginning session four. We're using as our text for this Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7. So we're going to get into that uh, right away. Let's have a word of prayer and then we will. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Open our eyes that we can see, our ears that we can hear, and our heart that we can understand what the word of God is saying to us. And then let us apply it to our lives so that we can be changed into the image of your dear Son. Then Jesus speak to us as we surrender ourselves, sanctify ourselves, and yield ourselves to the Spirit so that we can know what to do, demonstrate, and understand as you speak. We will receive it, and we will re- uh, release it to your people, and from there we will be uplifted, we will be corrected, we will be blessed, we will be led and guided into truth. And that truth being such that we can live this life to be more than an overcomer. Uh, We ask all of this in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. Amen and amen. So we begin session four of when does one receive the works and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Our text, as I mentioned, comes from Ephesians chapter four and verse seven. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And we have explained to you that that word measure means portion. And we're now walking through each portion of the steps that Jesus walked through, beginning with the cross. Recognizing that one of Jesus' commands was to pick up your cross and follow me. We, I, am under the impression that when he said, follow me, he did not mean only to the cross because the cross was not a place from, uh, uh, at which he remained. No, he went forward to do works that would be uh, brought to us and reproduced in us by the Holy Spirit. So today, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure, the portion of the gift of Christ. We're picking up with the actions of the priest as he is offering in the holy place. This priest offers worship at each station. Now there is no blood for this priest to sprinkle because the blood that sanctified us and made us priests, made us brothers with Christ, who is our high priest, has already been sprinkled once and for all. But worship must be released by the priest. He must see the works of the Godhead as they're displayed in the lampstand. In the lampstand is the complete plan of God, and this plan begins with purity and holiness, 
and ends with a man being made the righteousness of God. So what do we see here? We see in the priesthood that for the first time, holiness and purity have been revealed to the believer. Now righteousness was revealed as Jesus came out and was resurrected, put on the new robes of righteousness. But holiness and purity comes to us as we operate in the priesthood. Well, then we must identify with the body and the blood as revealed in the table of showbread. This is the procedure that reflects all of the acts of Jesus Christ that secured the position of the priest for the believer. Lastly, this must be revealed, and it will come in the revelation of the smoke, where we, being a blood brother with the high priest, this is the place of production where the priest is reproduced into the same express image of the dear Son of God. When the smoke billows from the holy place, the God that is in the Holy of Holies accepts and seats the priest in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Now reproduced in his position of the priesthood, the believer can make entrance into the throne room of God. Why is this available only at this point? That's a good question. Because at no other portion in the operation of Jesus is man made to be holy. In this sanctifying process where the believer becomes a brother of Jesus Christ, due to the work of the blood, in the holy place, man becomes holy, acceptable, and able to enter into the throne room of God. Now remember, Without holiness, no man shall see God. Hebrews 12, 14, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. So we found the place in the journey of Jesus where holiness becomes apparent. It's in the priesthood. So let's stop for just a second and look at what we found to this point. The cross produces forgiveness and healing in the spirit. It does not produce the element that opens the doors of heaven for man's ability to enter and be heard. The tomb produces the death of the flesh and the preservation of the spirit. But again, there is no source of holiness in this position. The deliverance from the captivity and bondage of sin makes one righteous. This means that in Christ one meets the standards of God. It reflects that a new garment has been placed upon the believer, but as of yet, there is no holiness. As we saw in the message entitled, How to Reign in Life, we take on the ability to discipline our own life from the reproduction of the act completed by Jesus in all of the coordination that resulted in the resurrection. Then comes the priesthood. This is a reflection of the operation accomplished by Jesus Christ, who is the high priest. It is here that holiness is achieved. 
With this knowledge, we must consider all that we have taught concerning how God is responding to our needs and to our prayers. Is he outside of the acceptance of this position and this condition doing by grace the works of which we have attributed to him concerning such things as answering prayer and meeting our need. In other words, can we legitimately say with Paul these statements and expect God to do what we have asked? Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all, my, all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Of course, this is the expectation. But is it the expectation of those who never pursue the riches that are in his dignity, honor, praise, and worship? Where does that happen? Well, it happens in the priesthood. If we take this statement of Paul simply at face value, and we use it as if it's a blank check written by Paul with no other foundational requirements, then, well, we could use it for most anything. But Paul has never opened a blank account, friend. He says that there are riches in the place of his glory that are placed there by Christ Jesus. So the concept is that we must expose the fullness of the wealth that is in the place of glory to exact the supply required. How do we do so? Well, Paul told us in the same chapter. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can do all things through Christ who enables me. How does he enable us? He provides portions for our growth and development to which we must access and have reproduced in our spirit man. As we do, we move into the deeper development of grace. Now let's deal with prayer. The prayer of a sinner, is it heard or not? Well, that's a good question. The answer is that the prayer of a sinner who regards iniquity in his heart is not heard according to Isaiah 66, 18. Why? Because Isaiah 59, 2 says that iniquity separates us from God. So if the prayer of a sinner is not heard, then how do men get saved? That's a good question. Well, they're convicted and convinced by the Holy Spirit of the iniquity. And because of this convicting and convincing, they are willing to release the iniquity of which they had guarded in their heart until the Holy Spirit began to do a work based on forgiveness and healing that Jesus did at the cross. They're willing to, to no longer regard that. Why? Because they've been convinced there's another way. When that conviction of lawlessness is completed and the convincing of uh, the life that's in Christ Jesus it is then received, the heart that was once full of iniquity that was death, is changed into a heart that's full of life. That's why a lot of this 
the things that we see happening in churches today with regard to people being saved and how they are being saved, well, it's just false because we've never dealt with the iniquity. And God, in His Word, Isaiah 66, 18 and 59 too, says that when you regard lawlessness in your heart, you're separated from God and He's not going to hear you. There has to be a work of the Holy Spirit that brings lawlessness into an understanding of the fact that it is the, the thing, the device that separates you from God, that separates you from the work of the cross. Once that is understood, the work of the cross then is convinced to man that man must have that work and eliminate the old actions of, in, of inequity and lawlessness. Now, we're not teaching it that way today. As a matter of fact, we're giving away salvation just like we give away cough drops or M&M candies and say, if you say you believe, you're saved. The Bible just isn't teaching that, my friend. And therefore, we're leading a lot of people down a path where they're regarding iniquity in their heart and we're telling them they're saved, the iniquity remains, you're being told you're saved, so therefore, you're serving two masters because iniquity is still abounding. My friend, the scripture does not teach that. So if the prayer of, sinner is not, of a sinner who regards iniquity in his heart is not heard, then the work of the Holy Spirit must come into the heart of man and convince him that that iniquity is wrong and that, the, what, that that is precisely what Jesus Christ has died to relieve him of. Having been convinced of that now, his prayer for forgiveness with no iniquity in his heart is heard by God. Bingo! Salvation occurs. He gets saved. Now, the next question is, does he hear the prayer of the righteous? The answer to that, of course, is yes. Proverbs 15, 29, he is the prayer of the righteous. James 5, 16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. 1 Peter 3, 12, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. Psalms 34, 15, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. Look at the message, because it's quite clear. The righteous are the ones who begin to gain standing in the position of prayer. So concerning communication, the heart of the sinner must be changed, and then God hears a prayer that is absent of iniquity, lawlessness, transgression. Then the process of becoming righteousness, of becoming righteous, is extended to man by the journey of Jesus Christ. When man identifies with the acts of Jesus and is delivered from the capacity and the bondage of the works of sin, he's clothed in a garment that Proverbs says that his voice can be heard in prayer. That garment is the robe of righteousness. Now a righteous one can begin to be heard for his cry because the Lord's ears are open to his or her prayer. Does the prayer constitute 
the entrance of one into the throne room boldly? <laughs> well, no. It constitutes a righteous person's communications efforts and expresses a God who is in tune with his cry. What does a righteous person then manifest from his prayer? Well, he manifests the first three works of, of, of salvation. The ability to be forgiven and healed in his soul, the ability to have his spirit preserved, and the ability to live in deliverance from the things that made him poor, blind, broken, bruised, and captive. These are the three correlating effects of the plan of salvation that are exposed at this point in the journey of Jesus. So, as we have taught prayer, as we have attempted to show people a life of prayer, we have been wrongly dividing the word of truth because it is not at this point that prayer takes on the place where you have the right to enter into the throne room of God boldly. Why? Because you've not been sanctified and made brethren both through the priesthood. So what the reason that we see so many prayer prayers and so much unanswered prayer and so much frustration about prayer and so many people say God isn't doing it like he used to is because we are not executing the walk of following Jesus Christ where the plan of salvation can operate to minister to supply every need. Now the question you have to, to ask here, when Paul makes these statements in Philippians, where has Paul been? Well, Paul has been to the height and depth with Jesus Christ. That's why Paul can make that statement. That blanket statement, uh, unless you have walked through the places that Jesus has gone and had reproduced in you the things that Jesus produced by his actions and the correlating part of salvation has been brought so that you can defeat the house of the wicked, then those measures of Paul's message are not and have not been portioned to you. So instead of us teaching the scripture, rightly dividing the word of truth, we come up and say a lot of stuff on Sunday morning that sounds great. Our people may go and attempt to operate in it. It fails miserably. They get frustrated, and what happens? The devil says, look at you. See, that stuff there, it doesn't apply to you. You're not good enough. You don't have those goods. So therefore, you just need to stop. And frustration sets in, and they begin to become disheartened, disgruntled, disgusted, and the devil piles on and they don't understand how to resist the devil and make him free, flee from you. They don't understand how to draw nearer unto God, and he will draw nearer unto you because they were told that they had the right and the authority 
to pray over anything and everything, no matter what condition they were or where they were in their lives of following Jesus Christ, and God was obligated. Well, my friend, unfortunately, we have never learned the lesson. That's just not the case. That's not the case. That wasn't the plan of God. God was portioning things in Jesus Christ. And you were to come into those portions. How? By grace. By grace. What does a righteous person then manifest from prayer? Well, he manifests forgiveness, preservation, and deliverance. Well, of course, this answers a lot of questions. As I've mentioned, such as why do I pray about things in my life? And there seems to be no legitimate answers. Why would I be forced to make choices? And those choices that I make often fail. Why do I often choose things that look like they're the best, but they don't turn out for the best? We now have a point of reference. The answer is that we've not come into the portion of Jesus Christ as the high priest that correctly produces our worship. And when our worship is correct, we will be extended into the next portion where our prayers will produce grace and mercy to help in time of need according to Hebrews chapter 4. Look at John 9.31. Now we know that God heareth not sinners. Now watch this. But if any man be a worshiper, huh, be a worshiper, and doeth his will, he heareth him. Now, do we see worship in the cross? Do we see worship in the tomb? Do we see worship in the deliverance that occurred in resurrection? In the resurrection? No. No, no, we don't see worship until we go to be the high priest. We don't see worship come out of us until we go to function as a sanctified brother made to be sanctified by Jesus Christ who is sanctified and then called into the brotherhood of the priesthood, there we become a worshiper. My friend, we must follow and walk where he walked. Then we will do the will of God and Jesus declares he will hear us. Looking at John 9, 31, what do you see? You see a man that must be a worshiper of God. He must do his will, and then he is heard. Where did we find worship in the journey of Jesus Christ? We found it in the position of which he rendered to us from his role as high priest. And that worship is passed on to us, and we are his brethren. This is where the will of God is completed for our worship. Then moving into the next portion, he hears the worshiper. Now, where am I going with this teaching? Well, clearly, God has a plan for prayer and a place for it to surface in the plan of salvation. God has a plan for how he will interact with man to maintain the work that's been done as they journey with Christ. The Lord's Prayer is a prayer of acknowledgement of the position of the Father. With respect to his placement, 
his reverence, his kingdom in relation to the earth, the initiation of Jesus as the giving, the, the one who is the bread that's given, forgiveness of the one praying, and forgiveness of those who do wrong against the one praying, acknowledgement of the leadership capabilities and the deliverance capabilities of the Father. It closes with the surrender of the kingdom, which is the spirit of the one praying. It surrenders the power over the one praying, and it identifies with the honor, the praise, and the worship that must proceed from the one praying. What have we seen in that prayer? It is a prayer of one who has been exposed to the righteousness of God. This is the place in the journey that Jesus had to go to bring the apostles and the disciples out of bondage and out of captivity of sin. For this purpose, Jesus taught them this form of prayer to those who were desiring to understand what prayer was about. Now, was this prayer the content of the prayers that Jesus made? I should say not. His prayer went into the depths of meeting the needs of those to whom he would minister. He was hearing the voice of the Father and seeing in his spirit what the Father was doing. He would show the apostles and the disciples exactly how to do this in time. But when the Lord's prayer was shared, this was the information that was required for them in their spiritual position. Now, when we see in John 20, when Jesus breathes on them and says, receive you the Holy Spirit, he immediately begins to talk about them retaining or remitting sin, which is where the Lord's Prayer is taking them. So where does the use of the name of Jesus that is bantered around by the righteous people come into this equation? Well, it comes in the following step of the journey of Jesus, and we're going to get to this shortly. What I want you to see is that if we circumvent the path of the journey of Jesus, we put ourselves in position to become frustrated, disappointed by attempting to use what we see written in the Word of God, taking it on face value, never uh, recognizing that the words have to be put into the correct place in the correct order and operated from the correct portion of the measure of the gift of Jesus Christ. When it does not work for us, however, because we don't understand this, we grow impatient, get frustrated, and then we begin to seek answers from the intellect of man. What do they tell us? Well, God doesn't do things like he used to do. You know, God doesn't always answer prayer. God may answer with a yes or a no or a maybe or wait a while. All of these things that are intellectual and they make sense if you're looking for an answer of which you, in your intellect, can wrap your mind around. But none of that is true, my friend. There's no reason to get frustrated with God. The reason, the answer is to go deeper. Go deeper into grace. Go deeper into the journey of Jesus. 
Because we don't, we often find ourselves turning against God and even developing bitterness that keeps us from ever truly experiencing the goodness and the kindness of God. This bitterness will lead us to quit praying. It will lead us to quit reading the Word of God. It will lead us to stop worshiping appropriately in church. It will lead us to the point where we will sit in the pew and look at the preacher and say, see if you can move move me. See, all of these things that are roots of bitterness, well, they've come to us because of the education or the lack thereof that we've been given from those who have taught the Word of God inappropriately, ineffectively, and almost irreverently. So we're going to see how we move into the next step. Now, of course, anytime someone gets frustrated with God, that's a great shame because all we have done that causes our, now think about what I'm about to say, all we've done that causes our frustration is that we have prematurely taken on things and attempted to use them when they were not available to us because we had not appropriately followed the acts of Jesus Christ. Man's intellect was telling us things and teaching us things that sounded reasonable, but in the spiritual world just didn't work. Things such as, listen to this, have faith, build your faith, walk by faith, your faith isn't enough. You've tried to read and listen to God's word. You've tried to pray. You've tried to quote scripture. You've tried to be faithful in the knowledge that you have. And you've tried to go to church, but you failed to receive results and answers. And the problem is, you've had absolute vital questions. And failure seemed to be the outcome of most of your choices. Unhappiness, and lack of peace seemed to encompass your days and your life. But the answers remain the same from those spiritual leaders of whom you've trusted. Send us more money. You just need to give more. All of that foolishness. Well, the answer to increase your faith and to be established in this great gift of God, but the means to accomplish that is not prayer from the perspective of the first three works. Not at all. The first three works that begin at the cross, why would that be? Because these three works deal with your personal spiritual healing, spiritual preservation, and your deliverance from the fivefold bondages, poverty in your spirit man, being bruised, being broken, being blind, and being held in captivity. Deliverance from this bondage, all that's been produced by sin, that's what these first three works about. There is no supply found here except for the supply of forgiveness, preservation, and deliverance. There's no rich things except the new relationship that's been changed and transmitted into your spirit, man. If we remain here, 
Our lives will be lived in frustration because we'll see life as if we are looking through a glass ceiling and have no idea how to get what it is we see that's available. My friend, that's a terrible spiritual condition. I'm not done, but I'm finished for tonight. Father, I thank you for the word of God. Open our eyes that we can see, our ears that we can hear, and our heart that we can understand. Reveal to us, God, truth in following Jesus in his steps and in his walk. With all of that, we will give you praise, honor, and glory. In the lovely name of Jesus, amen and amen. Thank you for listening. Please listen to this again. It will minister to you and it will answer questions. So as always, find Him as Lord. If you find Him as Lord, every knee in your life, everything that has a name and everything that has a tongue will bow. But if you find Him as the man in the Godhead, He'll lead you and guide you and show you great things that are to come. May God richly bless you is my prayer until we speak again.